Hello everybody, welcome to the Big Dog Podcast, the place where we talk to some of the most inspirational business leaders, founders, MDs, celebrities and influencers. Each week we will have a new guest who is incredibly inspirational in their field, giving you an insight into their world. On today's podcast, we have Amber Gordon from Tailored Styling, who procures the most expensive and rare items for some of the richest people around the world. Listen to how she does it, how she built it, and what COVID has been like for her. It is a fascinating listen, and we can't wait for you to meet her. The interview you're about to hear was filmed on Zoom due to social distancing, so please excuse any cutting out because of internet connections. Hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Dog. <laughs> Start again. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Big Dog Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you are returning, thank you so so much. I'm really glad that you're enjoying our series. And if you're new, uh, this is a series about talking to some of the most inspirational business leaders, mentors, business owners, celebrities, and influencers in the UK. And today we have a very very exciting and interesting podcast for you. Uh, we're speaking to Amber of Tailored Styling. Uh, and I am not going to ruin this. I'm going to hand over to you, Amber, and you can tell everybody what you do. Um, so, hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. So, my business sources rare and you know rare and hard to find luxury goods for wealthy clients. So, a client might come to us and say, "I'm looking for this handbag that I can't find in store." And my business would, you know, we would reach out to our contacts wherever the client is based um, and try and source that. So sometimes it can be less about the rarity of the object as well and more about the logistics. So sometimes there could be, um, you know, an, a watch maybe that was an Asia exclusive. Um, so it was only available in the Asian boutiques, but we have a, an American client who wants it. So we would then arrange the logistics of getting that to them. Amazing. So you have a very interesting business, which has also been for, um, featured on Channel 4. Um, and you've had uh, an article in the Daily Mail about your what you do. Um, so it comes down to finding things that people can't find. Yeah, exactly. So we would then, so we would add a, a margin. I kind of take whatever the item costs, um, weigh up how difficult it was to find, you know, the efforts that went into getting it to the client and price it up from there. So the client is never really aware of the margin, you know, the margin that, that's being made by the business. We kind of, you know, price it all into the, to one and put the, the price forward to the client and say, you know, this is the cost of getting the watch to you or the bag, whatever they're buying. And, and then they either decide to kind of buy it or not. Sure, and I guess that comes in part of the service, you know, you you know how to get it and they don't. So it's just yeah. part and parcel of what it is. So how did you start this? <laughs> um, <laughs> if I'm honest, it was actually kind of an accident of how I, it was an accident of how I- The best businesses it. are. <laughs> Yeah, I guess they are really. Um, maybe you could say it was meant to be or something. But um, so I always wanted to be a fashion journalist. That was my obsession when I was a teenager. You know, the devil wears Prada. I want to be the editor of Vogue. That was always my dream. Um, so I, I went to uni and I studied fashion journalism. And I quickly discovered that it's really not that easy to get a job. You know, if you think 
how many print magazines there actually are in the UK and how many then entry level roles would be open at any given time is really not easy at all. And as well, this was at a time where print print was kind of just moving to online. So it was a really strange time in terms yeah. of media as well. So yeah, I very quickly realized it was not that easy to get a job. Um, I took a job at a niche magazine, a niche luxury magazine that had been interning at over uni. They offered me a job as a stylist. So I went there and I kind of worked on the, the fashion content there. So it was all about the, the photographs. You know, we would plan the outfits and put together the looks, photograph, all of that kind of thing. Um, but it was independently owned. The editor, you know, funded the magazine and it, it did well, but as with most small businesses, you know, there's ups and downs. And I was the last one to come in. So I was the first one oh. to leave. Oh, no. <laughs> when things got tough. So it, it was kind of sprung on me that I didn't really have a job anymore. And I kind of thought, well, what am I going to do now? Like, I'm 20, I think I was 24 or 25 at the time. And I just thought, I don't really want to try and get another job. Um, and my boyfriend at the time kind of said to me, well, why didn't you try and do your own thing? You know, you're young this now is time to do it so I thought let me try and start a personal shopping business so to begin with it was going to be more about styling clients so you know taking yeah. people um, on shopping tours where I would help them put together outfits um, and I as I was doing my research for this business I used to see this you know sourcing service pop up quite often on other people's business pages so they do the shopping tours and they'd also offer this thing where if you're looking for an item, they would help you find it. So I thought, let me just whack that on the website. Everyone else seems to be doing it. I'll just pop it up there, whatever. Um, so as it kind of developed, it, it, I was really struggling to get shopping appointments. I, I've never had business experience. I've never started a business in my life. So I think, I don't know what I thought that I would start this website and then people would just flock, <laughs> flock to my website um, without really thinking about how people would find me. Um, so yeah, the sourcing service, I'd, I'd added that to the website and I had maybe one or two inquiries for it. But So what I started doing uh, to speed up the process was um, a good friend of mine at the time was working in Chanel and the um, Chanel espadrilles at the time, this maybe five years ago, I think, were, you know, impossible to get. They were so hyped. Everyone wanted them. And she would let me know when they came in. And she'd be like, they're here quick. You need to come now. So I would buy up maybe three pairs. It would be as many pairs as my credit card would allow because I had no cash flow back then. So I'd yeah. buy maybe, they were about £450 each. And I'd have- For shoes. <laughs> For everyone listening. For so I'd buy as many pairs as I could and then I'd sell them on eBay. And then everyone that bought from me, I would say to them, I'm a personal shopper. If you need anything else, you know, come back to me. Um, and it, 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 I got quite lucky really because one of the first people that bought from me on eBay, she was a footballer's wife. Okay. Well, like a, a relatively decent team. So um, one thing about the football community is it's very tight knit and they move around quite a lot. Yeah. So, you know, you get one of the wives and she, you know, we got on really well. She liked me. She started sending her friends to me. You um, get one of the wives, you get all the wives. Yeah. So you start sending <laughs> her friends to me, you know, the, the, then you start getting the husbands, the husbands move teams to other teams. Then you're exposed to a whole new mm -hmm. set of teams. So that, that was kind of where it started. Um, I would say where it really started to 
blow up for me and become big because at this time still I had a part-time job and when was was this how long ago was this six years ago five six years ago so after leaving my job at the magazine I did have a you know a part-time job in Selfridges actually I used to work on the shop floor um for about two years I I did that and the intention behind that was that maybe I would meet some clients there and I'd be able to take them, but sure. it just kind of didn't work. It just didn't connect. It didn't work but out. But I guess way. we've spoken to quite a few people on here about tipping points. So the tipping point of a business being that you still need to pay your bills and you still need to eat, yeah. but at the same time, you still need to run your business. And that tipping yeah. point between when do you earn enough money from your business yeah. to sustain it's you as a person? That. It's exactly that. And I think, I think for me, that point was I managed to get quite a big, concierge um company and i managed to do that if i'm honest by blagging (laughs) and saying that i could do things i had no idea how to do i told them that i i told them i'd sold many ms bags and i'd never sold one (laughs) um i told them that i'd sold many watches and i hadn't um and i think that you know you read this a lot when you read books about business that sometimes you just have to and an old editor of mine actually from the magazine that i was uh, you know made redundant from he always used to say to me in business you agree and then you work out how you're going to do it after so yes and work it out after so that's kind of exactly what i did and um yeah so i i managed to get this client and everything I would sell them from there, it it was a different level of buyer. So I would say before them, the people that were buying from me, they had money, but they didn't have unlimited money. You know, they still had to think about, mm-hmm. they had to think about other things that they needed to buy. It wasn't just, you know, I'm going to buy a 15,000 pound bag and that's that. But they had access to a, a higher level of buyer. So what I would then do every time I sold them something, I would put it all over social media. And I even did that before I had them. So I would, you know, back in the day when I didn't really have clients, I used to order things from websites that you could return to. And I would take pictures of things and put it on social media and be like, oh, I sourced this for my client. I didn't. I, I didn't have a client, you know, back then. But it, it's that um, it's the social proof. You know, if, if you put things up, people are like, OK, she can do this. And so maybe I'll send someone to her. So what's interesting then? So because we've spoken to quite a few people about social as well. Talk about the importance of social media in your business and how it's helped grow it. It's been kind of essential. It's It's been absolutely essential and to the point where I, I'm horrified about the thought of my Instagram being deleted. I've actually had dreams, nightmares, let's call them nightmares. I've had nightmares about my social media being deleted because it would completely stop my access to new people. So when I got this, you know, big client that I was referring to, I then started posting everything that I was selling to them on Instagram. And then people really started to become impressed, like, wow, these are really big things. So, for example, you know, a a Birkin, even just a leather Birkin is about £15,000 upwards. Um, An entry level Rolex is about you know at the time one of the main watches i was selling to them was about eight thousand pounds it's now gone up in value so much because it's discontinued that i'm selling them for about sixteen thousand and the wow the prices just go up and up and up like i would say the most expensive you know watch that i've ever sold was it was over two hundred thousand pounds two hundred grand for a watch i mean people say invest in the stock market in gold but they're probably best off buying a leather bag aren't they from a french fashion house they, they hold their value. If you buy the right thing, they do hold their value. But um, in back to what you were saying about social media, it is 
that's how I find most of my clients. So it's so, so important. And now what I'm kind of struggling with where the business has grown, it's not just me anymore. It's, you know, me and I've got one person that works for me. I've got somebody else that I contract to do my social media. They completely have taken over that. But what's happening now is with my personal Instagram, I also make sales from that. I don't even have time anymore to, to post on there because I'm so busy. I remember, you know, I remember a day when I used to sit on my laptop and just look for things to do because I didn't have that many things to do. So I used to think, oh God, when am I going to get clients? When am I going to be busy? Now it's like I can't even find a minute in the day to be posting on social media. So that's, part of being a, that's part of a successful business though, Amber. Yeah, so it's it's at that stage now where you have to really learn. It's, it's not about dragging clients mm. in anymore. It's about learning how to structure the business so that it can effectively grow and manage the level mm. of inquiries that we're getting. So how, so you've grown, which is amazing. Obviously your phone's ringing for another client looking for a bag or what do you need? The annoying thing is it's attached to my map. (laughs) It's very loud and annoying. How has COVID been the pandemic for you and your business? And so let's actually, let's go there first. So how is, how's the pandemic been? People aren't going out, you know, they they don't have the need, I guess, to buy fancy dresses and bags and shoes and watches or do they? Well, funnily enough, uh, when everything was first announced, naturally, I was quite panicked. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, gosh, how am I going to sell things? Um, even to the point where we didn't know what was going to happen. I thought, well, what if DHL starts oper- stops operating? Like, how am I going to get things to people? Are people even going to want to buy things? <laughs> What's going to happen? Am I going to be able to pay people that work for me? Um, but I very quickly realized that actually in terms of the different types of clients that I have, the the clients with less spending power, so maybe those people that enjoy luxury but have to think about what they buy, they were actually not going out and spending money on holidays. They're not spending money on eating out. They're not spending money on, you know, a cost of coffee every day. So they've actually saved quite a lot of money that they can then use to put into things that they actually want in terms of clothes. So those people have more money to spend. And then of course the super, super wealthy, a a pandemic does not affect those types of people. So I think I I kind of got lucky in the sense that, you know, when your business serves wealthy people and you're aiming, you know, at a much higher price point, you're kind of not affected by um, recession. Yeah, sure, economic downturns. Um, so I've in fact actually done better from the pandemic you know my heart really goes out to all those people that I see struggling and Mm -hmm. at the moment I really try and do my bit so I've stopped kind of buying from bigger businesses in terms of my like personal purchases I try and support smaller business even if it's like I'm buying soap I'm buying gifts whatever I try and support like smaller businesses I've I've really done quite well because especially in the UK we're still in lockdown right now yeah we've been in lockdown for how many months Mm -hmm. people can't go out and shop people are bored out of their mind if you've got money in your bank account still what else is there for you to do watch buy things yeah true so I'm actually, you know, I'm selling more than I was. Well, good for you. Well done. Congratulations. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really good. I'm so it leads on to what's the future. I'm assuming just keep growing. Keep going. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I think, yeah, just just keep growing and growing. Um, I'm finding my kind of international client base is growing a lot. So it'd be really good to um, 
you know, develop my overseas network. At the moment, it tends to be a lot of dragging friends into um, helping me with shipping things. So say I've got a client in Singapore, I've got a few friends there. If I found something that's there, I kind of call them and say, please take in this package for me. I really need your help. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it would just be a case of like setting up official entities in other cities just to grow the way that I serve clients. Here's a really interesting question for you then, which is slightly uh, economic, slightly political. <laughs> How has Brexit affected you for, with regards to import and exporting and getting things like so it's the cost of the cost of shipping and then the time it takes and the, yeah, the paperwork and the legality? It's definitely been difficult. So um whereas before I was able to buy a lot in Europe and it made my life a lot easier. Um what I've kind of had to do is if I'm buying something that's in Europe and it's not staying in the UK, I would then find a way for it not to even come to the UK. So I'm putting a lot more trust in my suppliers and only working with people who I really, really trust so that I can then have them ship directly for me. So with most items before what I was doing is have them come to me and I can check it first before I can send it to the client. So it kind of gives me a bit more flexibility to buy from new people that I've not worked with before because I know that it's coming to me first. And if there was an issue, it won't make it to the client. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm having to just, you know, be a bit more creative and, and just work with a select few people that I know are responsible and I trust them to send out an item that's in the condition that it should be in and they ship it direct to my client. And I because guess that's then, a huge risk, isn't it? Because let's just say you're buying a 20 grand bag. Yeah. You don't know whether it's damaged or you don't even know whether it's counterfeit. Yeah, you ha it has to be people that you really trust. And there is just a select few people that I trust who I know their processes are thorough enough to, you know, send a bag um, to one of my clients direct. The other thing that makes it a risk is you're opening yourself up for your clients to then be poached because that's quite a thing in this industry. You know, if I'm asking somebody to drop ship for me and send direct, there's nothing to stop them from slipping a little business card in the box and trying to take my client. So you really do have to then only work with people that you really trust, that know respect you and what you do and they respect your relationship more than kind of making a, a quick sale outside of you in terms of time frames with brexit it's you know to begin with obviously it was a bit annoying and i had quite a few packages that got stuck and there were delays and things like this but i think it's kind of coming to a point where it's the process is in place now so we know how long things are going to take and we know what time frames to specify so clients aren't disappointed sure crazy times isn't it like crazy weird yeah. world we live in and having to adjust your business and adapt yeah. and i mean i'm i'm wondering i'm still trying to work out what the benefit of brexit was for anyone <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> well we voted for it <laughs> I yeah i i mean i can't see it at all it's definitely not made my life easier but i've sure. just had to adapt and find ways around it but there's there's definitely people that i now can't buy from and there's definitely sales that um, I'm priced out of because it, you know, it, say I've got a client in the UK who's looking for a bag and I find it in Europe. I then need to add, you have to add 20% import VAT. And then if it's staying in the UK, you need to add another 20% VAT. So essentially, wow. yeah, it's, it's really pricey. So it's essentially adding, if you're in the UK, a 40% 
to some of my prices when the price is already inflated. You know, if you're selling a bag that was £8,000 in the store and the client's paying 15 and they now have to pay 40% on top, well, they're going to say, no, I'll, I'll get it from... I'll get it from someone else if I can. Yeah, sure, Christ. Or they just, or they just don't buy it because some or of these just bags don't buy it. You can't find. Yeah, you can't find anywhere else, so they're just kind of priced out. Yeah, that is crazy. What, isn't what it? I'm finding handy is, you know, some of the wealthier clients they um, they quite often have more than one property. So if I can find something that's in a country they have a property in, you just have to be a bit creative and say, okay, well, I find one here. You're going to have to receive it in your your house here. Sure. Oh, the world they live yeah. in, the world we live in. I know, I know. <laughs> There's lots to be worrying about paying their mortgage and they're worried about which house they can go to. I know, which house they're going to send their new bag into. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the world they live in and that's the world that you operate yeah. in. And, and it's, it's, I think yeah. it's fascinating. It's, I think it's everyone very listening, bizarre. It's very yeah, and I think everyone listening will be fascinated as well that, like, this happens it does it and it has been happening it's happening before covid it's continuing to happen you know during covid people still want these things sure i mean you see like the art world right and people go to like sotheby's and christie's and they're buying their million yeah. pound paintings and that but this is just yeah. this is another extension of their life there they want a very very expensive watch because they're bored and they see it on a magazine one day and they ring you and say i have to have this yeah, I think it's also the same way that art is sometimes an investment. You know, sometimes people have money that they want to put into art because they don't want it to go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, they'll put it into a painting and have it sitting there. They, they do the same thing with watches or collectible bags. And, and watches especially do, if you pick the right one, they do appreciate in value. Mm -hmm. So there's a particular um, Patek Philippe watch that maybe two years ago I was quoting people £95,000 for. And now it's worth 150,000. Wow. That's so if you'd, I mean. bought, if you'd bought that, yeah, if you'd have bought that two years ago and just whacked it in a safe and not touched it, you've just made 55,000 pounds. More nothing. money than you probably make on your house if you did it yeah, up exactly. and added a bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, Crazy, I often it? get clients come to me and say, you know, we've got, I've got X amount. Where, where what should I buy for an investment? Wow. F fascinating. Really, really is. Yeah. So, um, before I mean, before we go, I mean, what was what's been the most popular thing that you've sold recently? Like, what's everybody trying to get hold of? Ooh, um, well, the PlayStation Five for one has been, you know, absolutely nuts. Which is, you know, sometimes there'll be the odd thing. That generally, I specialize in luxury fashion, so mm -hmm. watches, clothing, jewelry, bags, things like that. But on the odd occasion where there's something that's particularly collectible or hyped, we'll branch out to other things. So PlayStation 5 has been a massive one, especially over Christmas. I was selling mm -hmm. so many of those. Um, Which is where, obviously, we've worked together a big deal because you we have, procured one yeah. for us for our competition, um, yeah, exactly. which, was, which did really um, well. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, Birkins are always one of my best sellers. I think they always will be. Um, there's a few Rolex models that were released last year that are, you know, really collectible because they're new editions. So I've been selling a lot of those. Cool. And I've asked everyone this that comes on that business owners where they started their own business. What advice would you give to somebody wanting to start a business? Um, it's, it's funny that you asked this because, you know, you mentioned that I was featured in a Channel 4 video and off the back of that video, I actually had such an influx of girls and guys as well, but mostly young girls, you know, in their teenagers messaging me saying, well, I want to do what you do. Mm -hmm. 
how, how do I do it? You know, how do I do it? And my answer to that is just start, just, just start. Like, don't, don't overthink it. Just, just do it. Just start posting something because, you know, the longer you spend thinking, oh, well, what's my strategy? What's, what do I do? Just try something. And this is all I did. You know, like I, I didn't have a clue. If I'm being honest, I didn't have a clue about business. I didn't have a clue how to build a client base i just knew that i liked birkins mm-hmm. <laughs> and rolexes i just liked nice things and from there i just kind of tried something and thought well that didn't work let me try this oh that didn't work let me try this that failed miserably okay let me try this oh that kind of worked let me do a bit more of that mm-hmm. so i think um people are quite hesitant to to start something they think oh well it's not the right time um i don't know what i'm doing i i need to learn or do this course before i do it just do it sure amazing thank you so much i this has just been fascinating to listen to and i'm sure that everyone listening is going to be absolutely mind-boggled and fascinated at the same time which i'm sure you get quite a lot yeah sometimes i think i think it's because the level of spend is is just so far removed for a lot of people it's it's fascinating even i find it fascinating to be honest yeah but what a crazy crazy world that you live in or you sometimes live in with <laughs> with yeah, your sometimes. with your business um yeah. uh, thank you amber th- so much and for everyone listening um amber from tailored styling please check her out uh, t-a-y-l-o-r-e-d is that right it's a t-a-i-l-o like a tailored suit. oh like a tailored suit tailored, tailored styling. styling uh check her out she's on instagram obviously and uh, and on the online on the internet um, and have a look at all the, the amazing stuff she does. And I mean, if you have any reason to contact Amber, please do. Uh, she will find everything and anything for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, thank you again for listening to the Big Doug podcast. We hope that you found this insightful, fascinating, interesting, and we really hope that you continue to like and subscribe to our podcast. We will be back next week with somebody just as intriguing as and fascinating in the business world. Um, and until then, thank you very much and goodbye. Here at Big Doug, we worked with Amber to procure a PlayStation 5 for a competition for our office category. Uh, We gave it away to one lucky winner who bought a office chair or office desk earlier in the year, which worked incredibly well for us. And we will more than likely be working with Amber again. Uh, It has been an absolute delight listening to her, talking to her and also working with her. So uh, make sure that you subscribe to the Big Doug podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.